This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley and is from Good Friday, 2018. As I was preparing for this message on this Monday night in the thick of sermon preparation, I had a dream. It's a very odd dream that I'd like to share with you. It involved a certain bishop. He was in it. So in this dream, he's not the star of it, but he was in it. So in this dream, I was a spy, working as a spy, which if you know me, that's not that strange because I love spy novels, I love spy movies, and if I was not a pastor, I would either want to be a very wealthy and famous author or a spy. <laughs> what else is there? So I was a spy, and I was in a restaurant, and I overheard one of the waiters, one of the waiters was like whispering and kind of pointing to me, and I thought, this guy is blowing my cover. He's blowing my spy cover. That's, you don't, can't have that as a spy. So, you know, you know what the spy movies, Jason Bourne, Liam Neeson, what would they do? Well, I picked the guy up, and I threw him down the stairs and kind of dusted my hands, and that's the end of that. Got rid of that problem. Then the next day, I saw this spy, I'm not the spy, I saw this waiter guy talking to a known associate of Bishop Stewart. And I thought, oh man, I am in real trouble now. Because <laughs> here's the spy, he's all bruised and scratched, and, and he's like whispering, yeah, this guy over here, he did it to me. And I thought, word is going to get back to the bishop. <laughs> and not only is he the bishop, but he's my boss. He does my performance review. He gives, you know, suggests raises, things like that. So there's a lot of fear. Now, I mentioned this dream because it really does get into our passage for tonight. It gets into the burden, the anxiety, neurotically coming out in my dream about what I wanted to experience this Good Friday and that what I hope you will experience this Friday, this Good Friday, and that is the forgiveness of sins in the deepest, most secret wounds of your heart, to experience it, to have it applied to your heart. I want to look at the epistle passage, which is from the book of Hebrews, one of the, book in, one of the books in the New Testament that's not read as often because it's a really hard book. And it's a really complicated book. And as you saw, this is a really dense passage and a long passage. And you might have kind of checked out if it was being read because it is complex. And it involves a very tight but very brilliant argument about forgiveness. And let me break it down this way just into three, three points that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the need for forgiveness which is really the background that will get us into Hebrews 10. So the need for forgiveness, the offer of forgiveness, and the experience of forgiveness. Now the need for forgiveness, you, you, may, not, you may be thoroughly convinced of that already, so let me just cover that rather quickly. But let me give you a little background to this book of why forgiveness is so necessary. It used to be this thing in, among professional athletes. I don't see them doing this as much anymore. 
Maybe musicians did this, artists did this, I don't know. But professional athletes, they'd make a really dumb play. Like the, the pass would come right here and they'd drop it. Or the ball would go right between the third baseman's leg. And you'd see them do this. And then you could watch their lips, they go, my bad, my bad. Kind of like, oh, okay, that's all it took. My bad. You just got to say my bad and it's good. Well, I think a lot of times, well, we tend to like to think that God is like that. That all we have to do is say, my bad, and God will say, phew, it's okay. I forgive you. Just the, the wave of a hand and it's over. God is going to be easygoing like those teammates on the sports team. In the Bible, with that attitude, people are often really shocked when they get into the scripture and they find out that God is actually angry sometimes. That God actually has what the Bible calls wrath. It's not the main storyline. The main storyline is an incredible story of love and mercy and tenderness. We see Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, into the city that's going to crucify him, and he looks over the city and he weeps over the city. But there is another storyline that we would like to gloss over, the story of God's opposition to our sin, his againstness to our sin. The Apostle Paul put it this way in one of the great theological sections of the, of the whole New Testament, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress, suppress the truth. You feel like me, you, we struggle with this. We find this hard to take. Judgment of God against sin. You know, as I've traveled around the world, and I, I think Bishop Stewart would probably say the same thing, as we've traveled around the world, this is not a problem for many Christians around the world. I gotta say, it is primarily a problem for affluent Westerners, not for the majority of the world. Consider this, for instance, 20, 2014 in Nigeria, 276 girls were kidnapped from Chibok School. It's a horrible thing. The social media in the United States went wild. Everybody was like, bring our girls back, bring our girls back. Well, there's still 112 girls missing that have not been returned. So there is no my bad, and it's over to that. There's a theologian, a Croatian theologian who watched his country be decimated by war and terror. He said, I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. Please understand this. God is not wrathful in spite of being love, he says. God is wrathful because he is love. And therefore, he is opposed to evil. But see, here's what we tend to do. We tend to like, we want to draw a line, and we want to say, well, the good people are over here, and there's bad people over here. There's two kinds of people. There's good people and bad people. And I'm not maybe way over on this side, but I'm on this side of the line. I'm not one of the bad people. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a murderer. I'm not one of those people. But the Bible doesn't look at it that way at all. The Bible looks at it and says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. So the problem of forgiveness is this question. How can God judge sin, be a just God, and we're all in it, we're all in this mess, and offer forgiveness? 
How can God set things right in the world, and we need to be set right, and lavish us with his grace at the same time? We need a miracle. That is outside what you and I can do. That leads us right up to Hebrews chapter 10 and the offer of forgiveness. And that's why this passage comes as a miracle. It is a long and complex and eloquent argument. So let me, and, and I had to spend a long time just kind of wrapping my mind around this. But let me break it down into chunks. So verses one through four. And it's, it's on page uh, nine and 10 in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And I won't read all of it or cover all of it, but let me just try to get the main argument. What is this offer of forgiveness? So verses one through four, it says, verse one, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of the realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So it's talking about the Old Testament system of bringing offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that explains it. It says that people would bring offerings so that quite, or quote, they might be accepted before the Lord. So you brought offerings, you brought them to the Lord so that the Lord would not only accept your offerings, but accept you. And there was something really positive about that because it showed the human race that first of all, God wants to forgive and that God is gonna open a way to forgive, but that forgiveness is costly. God's not just gonna wave his hand and say, oh, you're bad, it's okay. Because God would not be a just God. And for me, not a God that we could respect. But the writer of Hebrews says those, that, that whole system was a shadow. It was like, it's not a great analogy, but it was like training wheels on a bike. It's enough to get you going, but it's not like riding a mountain bike down a bike, down a mountain. It was just temporary. Verse 3, it said, the reason why it didn't work is because it was a reminder. Every year, it would remind us, you're a broken sinner, you're a broken sinner, you need to bring more offerings, you need to get right with God. And that was not what God had in mind. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was all important lessons, but it didn't take the sins and just remove them forever for good. It didn't do that. It couldn't do that. The flow was mostly one way, from us to God, although God was involved in this, but it was primarily us bringing our offerings to God. So verse five, consequently, therefore, there needed to be a better way, and there always was in God's mind. It was all part of God's plan. So verse 5, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. God's plan was always to get personally and bodily involved in applying forgiveness of sins to our bodies. And so Jesus came as God in the flesh and bodily form. He came to offer his life to God the Father. If a building is on fire, you don't want the fire chief to just pass out maps 
or send maps of escape routes, nor do you want the fire chief to just maybe send some fire extinguishers. At some point, the fire chief has to show up. And if it's really bad, the fire chief might have to go in himself and rescue people. Jesus is the fire chief. He's going in to rescue. He's not just sending a map. Jesus is offering himself, his whole life, from the day he was born, the incarnation, his birth, and then his whole life was an offering to God the Father. Not just at the cross, but then the cross was the culmination of that offering of himself to God the Father. You see what's happening here? The flow, rather than us offering gifts to God, God himself in the person of Jesus comes and offers himself as the offering. The flow gets reversed. God is making the offering. It's kind of astounding. And then verse 10, and by that will, by the will of Jesus to offer his whole self, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It doesn't need to happen again. There's nothing you can add to it. It's done. Verse 12, it says he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. When you sit down after a hard day work, it means your work is done. You did your job. It is finished. There's a story that's um, allegedly told about the jazz saxophonist Johnny Coltrane one night after a particularly extraordinary rendition of his 32-minute masterpiece, A Love Supreme. One night he stepped off the stage, he sat down with his saxophone, and he said the words, Nunc Dimittis, which is an ancient prayer from the Bible and our prayer book as Anglicans, which basically means, I may rest in peace. I'm ready to go meet my maker now. And he sat down, because it was done. And he couldn't play it any better. And he knew it. He nailed it. Jesus couldn't have done it any better. He couldn't have improved upon it. And you can't either. And so verse 14, it says, for by a single offering, one time, and it's talking about his whole life, remember, not just his death on the cross, his whole life was an offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. See, a lot of times we think, we act like Jesus needs some help from us. It's like he's really trying to forgive us and he's really struggling. He's having a hard time. And he can get about 80% of the way there. But he needs us to come along and say, oh, Jesus, can I help you with that? Can I help you forgive me? Is there something I can do? Something I can do to help you out, Jesus? And Jesus says, no. It is finished. Did you hear those words from our gospel? It is finished. Once for all. It's done. It's been perfected. Now, does that mean, oh, good, now I can live any way I want? Absolutely not. Look at the second half of verse 14. By a single offering, he has perfected all those, for all time those who are being perfected. Somebody has, has translated that verse this way. Christ has perfected once and for all those who are being perfected. 
So you are perfected, and yet you are in the process of being made more like Jesus every day. But the forgiveness of sins, that's not in doubt. It just needs to be applied to your life. Forgiveness unleashes you to live for God with a profound sense of gratitude and energy and focus as you are equipped to go into the world as messengers of Christ. You are not making your offerings to God in order to get forgiveness. You have forgiveness and therefore out of that gratitude you make your offerings to God. It's a whole different way to live life. Which leads to the experience of forgiveness. Because if we know this but don't experience it, it doesn't really do any good. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. Now this is a great verse because it's saying, so um, the writer of Hebrews who wrote this about 2,000 years ago is quoting from a book that was written about 1,000 years before that. And he's saying the Holy Spirit spoke it then and he's speaking it now. He's speaking it 2,000 years ago and he's speaking it now. He wants to speak it tonight. And one of the things that he quotes there from the Old Testament is God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Let me read that again. Because if you're like me, you have a hard time letting that sink in. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Does this sound too good to be true? Well, you'll have to duke that out with God then. Corey Tenboom, famous um, woman who lived during the time of the Holocaust, she loved to say that Jesus has taken our sins and he's thrown them in the deepest part of an ocean, the ocean, and then he's posted a sign that says, no fishing. And I thought about that, and you know what our problem is? We just cannot help going and run and getting our fishing pole and sticking it in there and trying to dredge stuff up again. Oh, let me see this thing I did five years ago. Let me see this thing I did 20 years ago. It's one of the biggest struggles of my life. Or maybe you're the kind of person you like to go fishing for somebody else. It's like, remember when you did that 10 years ago? I don't really like, you're not a very good fisherman, but I, let me help you. Let me do some fishing for you. <laughs> maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you need some healing prayer for that tonight. Stop fishing. And then look at verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. What does that mean? Well, it means there's no, there's no offering you can make to God to improve upon Jesus' perfect forgiveness. There's nothing you can add to it. It's done. There is no offering for sins. And so, verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since this is true, and since this is true, and since there's new and living way, and since Jesus' forgiveness is perfect, here's the application. Let us, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Since this is true, since Jesus is who he is, since he's done what he's done, draw near with full assurance, with confidence. As somebody prayed for me this week, Matt, don't stand back with one foot in and one foot out of Jesus' forgiveness. Come in with both your feet. Come in with confidence. The door is wide open. As Father Stephen loves to say, the light is on and the door is open. Now verse 22 is a really interesting verse. It talks about being sprinkled with, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. New Testament scholars are debated, or kind of debate this, but I think it's talking about baptism. I think he's pointing back to baptism. Remember that time in the church, maybe you were a baby, you can't remember it, but it, but it happened to you. You were in the church, you were around people, you, you were in a specific place in a specific time with specific people and you were sprinkled or you were dunked or you were submersed and, and the water got on your skin. And Jesus showed up and he touched your body. He didn't just speak to your head, he, he touched you in your body. Jesus showed up in his body. Salvation is not just in your head. Experience forgiveness is not in, just in your head. Some of you tonight, there's no pressure here. There's no manipulation. Nobody's going to yell at you and make you do anything that you don't want to do. Nobody's going to do that to you tonight. But take it from a guy who spent most of his life living in his head. You can experience forgiveness with your body. You can get your whole body involved. So some of you might want to go to the baptismal font tonight as you're being prayed for. Some of you might want to get kind of a, a reminder of your baptism. We're all going to, most of us will come to the cross and actually touch the cross. And if you're new to that, you may wonder, why do you do that? Well, because we believe that God doesn't just save our minds, but he saves our bodies. If you get a, say you get a wound you get a wound on maybe a burn or you get a cut on your arm and you have this triple antibiotic ointment. It doesn't do any good if it's in the tube. You have to squeeze it and you have to put it on the wound. And that antibiotic will prevent infection and it will begin to heal your wound. Well, the forgiveness of sins is it can be instantaneous. It doesn't have to take any time. So all we're talking about tonight is applying the antibiotic of Jesus' forgiveness to the deepest wounds of your heart. That's my encouragement to you tonight, our invitation, the gospel invitation. Let Jesus apply his ointment to the wounds of your heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.